0: It's Brian Preston, the Money Guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos, retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the Money Guy. Well, welcome to 2009. I'm your host, Brian Preston, for the award winning Money Guy show. And I got to tell you guys, it seems like I took a few weeks off for the holidays, obviously, and um, had a good time. But during that time that I that I took a few weeks off from doing a podcast with you guys and sitting down with you weekly and and figuring out how we can make better decisions with your financial life and so you can have that true peace of mind that comes from financial independence, we discovered one of the largest Ponzi schemes in history with um old Bernie Madoff, and and it's quite interesting to me because I've seen a lot of um you know talking back and forth on the, for the talking heads on TV about all the different things the SEC should have done to, to get all this straight and figured out. And I felt like you probably needed somebody, an objective source, who's, who's pretty involved with the financial industry and even uses the SEC um, – registration site, uh, you know, to go pull up actually what Bernie was doing and what he had disclosed to the SEC and the public to kind of tell you what you could do as an individual to protect yourself. So if you're if you're just now tuning in, um, welcome. This is, like I said, The Money Guy Show. If you want to go check us out on the website, you can go check us out at money-guy.com. I know we have a, probably a lot of brand new listeners because it seems like the month of January is always a great time to pick up new listeners because everybody gets those shiny new iPhones, iPods, Zooms, whatever you might have got that that plays MP3s. Um, this is a great time to be picking up brand new listeners. So if you're not, just now tuning in, we are going to be talking about how you can protect yourself from fraud. And then I also want to dig a little bit deeper into what um, old Uncle Bernie was doing um, to kind of, you know... S- Basically, steal money from charities and and individuals and businesses and everybody else out there who was moving. You know, he was he was basically tagging it and trying to see if he could um, squeeze a little bit of money out of it. So we're going to talk about that. But just for those that are brand new to listening to the Money Guy Show, let me tell you a little bit about us. And believe me, listeners, longtime listeners, don't worry. This ain't going to take long. Don't tune out yet. Um, by day, I am a fee-only wealth manager down here on the south side of Atlanta. Uh, I run a firm by day, and then um, this is just a hobby. I'm not a professional broadcaster. Now, I have had the opportunity because of doing the podcast for the last three and a half years that um, I have been able to be on Fox Business, be quoted in um, Newsweek and other magazines, as well as getting a little bit of quasi-mini-attention for what we 're doing, but mostly we 're not noticed that much. Fortunately, we get a lot of comments from you guys out there in iTunes land, and I think that 's drawn enough attention to us that we have built our own little segment of the the financial world that listens to us and I try to help you make the best financial decisions you can i 'm um, also going to be if you tune in to the end of the show i 'm going to be giving an update of what we 're going to be doing in the coming month to month and a half. Um, I've got some pretty exciting things, things that I've listened to your emails, and I'm going to take action based upon what you guys have asked because I do. Believe me, when you write emails to me at Brian, that's B-R-I-A-N, at money-guy.com, I definitely try to listen and read. I can't always respond to every email, but I definitely read every email and try to figure out what we can do to to, to help out because you are part of the Money Guy family. And, and I, I started this show... So that I could kind of fill that gap because it seems like to get good objective advice to afford a good fee-only financial planner, a lot of planners, including myself, we have minimum asset requirements. And um, I kind of feel guilty about that because there's a big void out there that it seems like everybody else who, you know, a lot of people who are selling products and shilling type of financial things to you aren't being completely honest so you probably needed a good objective honest voice that wasn't trying to sell you something and that's where the money guy show comes in so let's jump right in and talk about what has happened now i've got several things that i pulled up i, I one of the things that i'm going to do is i'm going to read um i get there i guess that you could call them forums um, blast emails. You know, there's a whole group of us that are fee-only financial planners that are uh, members of NAPFA. That's the National Association of Personal Financial Advisors. We we kind of share ideas and information back and forth. And I'm going to read to you um, some information I received from an advisor out on the west, out, out west, um, who who wrote about his dealings with the the whole Bernie Madoff. Um, scandal and how that impacted his business all through the 90s and 2000s. So I'm going to share that with you in a minute and actually read um, his comments because I think they really do kind of cut to the core of what a lot of advisors were feeling um, back when we went through the last bear market of 2000, 2001, 2002, and how just what Bernie was claiming he was doing was just so outrageous. Now you look back and you go, duh, how did I not know that this guy was a con artist but, you know, you know there's a lot of smart people that got caught up in this thing, but I thought the best thing I could do for you guys was we hear the media talking a lot about this, but how many of the people out there have actually gone out there and gone on the SEC's website and you can go do this yourself if you don't if you want to go check my facts and figures. Um if you go to to you know, of course the the www but the advisorinfo.sec.gov, you can do what's called you can um Pull up information on investment advisors because um, Bernie Madoff and his or Bernard Madoff um, was the owner of Bernard L. Madoff Investment Securities LLC, and they were re- required by the SEC to be registered as an investment advisor starting in 2006, so um, not too far too long ago. Now, they were under the SEC through. Um the FINRA or, and the NASD, the, what was formerly known as the NASD in the past, but they did have to register as recently as 2006 as investment advisors. And that's the same thing I am. Like I said, my practice by day is I'm a, I'm a partner at Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management, and we too are SEC registered. So I hear a lot of people saying the SEC has really screwed this thing up. We've got to get brand new regulations. We've got to make sure we've got all the – You know everything buttoned down so some sleaze bag like this doesn't you know slip through the works again but i gotta tell you guys i've been looked at by the sec and and those audits are not fun they're not fun to talk to the sec and it does intrigue me to go pull up i went on the sec site and pulled up his ADV, adv form because before you hire any advisor one of the first things you're supposed to ask them for is hey can you show me a copy of your ADV part two, because what that ADV part two does is it shows you how that investment advisor is paid, how they do business, you know, what their education is, what their background is, as well as have they been in trouble before in the past? Have they had anything, you know, any actions taken against them for for bad behavior? So I pulled up old Bernie's um, ADV, and and it had some interesting things in it. And I want to, I kind of want to show the difference between a, a an advisor who has their client's interests put ahead of their own and a guy like Bernie. And you can see this stuff if you just know how to read between the lines and actually pull this form up. And that's why I want to educate you guys. And then I'm going to give you three tips that are going to help you so you never could get caught in this. It doesn't matter how smart you are if you follow these three simple things that I'm going to give you in just a second. You won't get caught up with with a guy trying to sell you a a bad, you know, set of goods here. So the first thing I thought was interesting, item five of um, the Bernard L. Madoff Investment Securities LLC was, um, approximately how many employees do you have? And Bernie checked off that he had between 51 and 250 employees. The next question under Section B was, approximately how many of these employees are registered representatives of a broker-dealer? And guess what Bernie checked off? He checked off 51 to 250, the exact same number. And the reason I bring this up is because... You hear SEC SEC drop the ball on this thing. The broker dealers are are over you know have a, 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 a an organization that oversees them as well, and that organization is FINRA F I N R A, and it's interesting to me one of the top executives for FINRA. Miss um, Shapiro has now been appointed to head the SEC. So everybody thinks that Ms. Shapiro is going to straighten everything out out there, but she's got her hand in the cookie jar with this whole thing too because she was part of the leadership of FINRA, who was just as much in charge of making sure Bernie wasn't stealing money from his clients as everybody else. So if you think we're getting a brand new clean slate here with somebody who's coming from the outside to kind of clean up the SEC – they're all tied together, so, so don't think it's that easy. The next thing I thought was interesting under item 5, section E of his ADV, it says how you are compensated for your investment advisory, investment advisory services by which means. And it says check all that apply. And here's the options that are given to you, and I'm going to tell you which one Bernie chose. Um, Mr. Madoff, if you're if you're trying to keep it up, if you don't know him as Uncle, Uncle Bernie. But um, number one is a percentage of assets under your management two, hourly charges, number three is subscription fees for newsletter or periodical, four is fixed fees other than a subscription fee, number five is commissions, six is performance-based fees, and seven is othering. It wants you to specify if you do that. So um, I'll I'll tell you I I work under items one, two, and three because we have one which is a percentage of assets under management. I've shared that with you guys as part of being a fee-only planner as I do work under the assets under management business model. We also do have some clients that are option two, which is hourly charges. But if you look at what um, um, Mr. Madoff did, he would ch- he checked only one box, and that was number five, commissions. Once again, when you check commissions and you work with a broker-dealer, you are under FINRA's control. And, and you probably wonder, why do I keep bringing this up? It's just that I can already sense you know, I, I, I lick my finger and stick it up in the air to, to feel which direction the wind's blowing. I can already tell good investment advisors who have done nothing wrong, like myself and many other um, firms out there, are now about to be just trounced. I mean, it, we're going to essentially be dumped with tons of new requirements when the, the the current requirements are perfectly fine if people do their job. I think truly what happened here was that Bernie was too big. He knew too many people. It's it's that whole game of who do you know? Because you know, he had he had worked with the, the NASDAQ, he is he had been so involved that everybody knew him. I felt like when probably um Bernard Madoff's numbers came up, you know, for an audit or something, they were like, Oh, Uncle Bernie, he's a good guy, you know, he's he's not that big of a deal. Don't worry about him. It wasn't that the regulations weren't there. It was that Bernie didn't have anybody looking into him. He was too slick he He knew too many people i 'm sure it was very easy for him to make a phone call to the top of the food chain and say, "Hey, um, you know these guys want to come bother me. that's going to really hurt my operations." You know, to slow down business those few days while you're in here doing those audits. Um, can can we do something to move this on? And, and it probably worked for him. Meanwhile, smaller firms like myself and many others out there, we don't have teams of attorneys. We don't have connections to the top of the food chain. So when we get audited, guess what? We go in there where the path of least resistance. And, and you know, and we come in and we do everything we can to do the right thing. So I think we're about to be flooded with new regulations, new rules, and it scares me to death because I, I'm worried that the that the the die has been set, where Miss Shapiro and other people who who are against fee-only financial planners who have what's known as a fiduciary obligation, meaning that we're required by law to put our clients' interest ahead of our ahead of our own, meaning that if we don't do things that are in your best interest, you can take us to court and sue us for monetary, you know. A settlement. You can actually sue us for that. Our advice is not incidental to selling products. It's like I said. The key word is fiduciary obligation. And and you hear so often that the SEC is broken because this guy was an investment advisor. Regi- you know, he had he was an RIA with the SEC that he had, he had dropped the ball. And obviously, we're full uh, of dirty people, like just like Bernie. But that's not true. That's why I'm trying to show you that he was tied in with FINRA which is the commission guys too. All of his compensation was through commissions according to his ADV. None of it was on the fee only arrangement. Nowhere in here do you see that he has a fiduciary obligation. And Once again, that means he's got to put the client's interest ahead of his own and obviously Bernie wasn't putting anybody's interest ahead of his own. He was over there taking a cut off of the money, you know, because that's what a Ponzi scheme, if you want to know what a Ponzi scheme is, because you hear that it's a pyramid scheme. What that means is that he takes money from one person, keep a little bit for himself, and then um, he, he goes and gets other people to. to, to come into the investment scheme that he's got. And then as that person at the top of the pyramid asks for their money, he pays them off with the money from the other people. But none of the money was actually really invested. Maybe a portion was. But the way a Ponzi scheme works is that you make money only by the people who come in after you with their money, and then Bernie keeps a cut of it, you know, to to pay for all of his houses and everything else he had going on. And, And they're illegal. Ponzi and pyramid schemes are illegal, unless you're the federal government and then that's Social Security. If you guys listen to a lot of my past podcasts, you know I can't stand Social Security because it, is, because it is one of the worst things out there. But that's a whole other topic. But it is truly the biggest Ponzi scheme in history because it works just like Bernie does. And, and the thing that you have to realize about Ponzi schemes is that they always collapse. And that's exactly what cooked Bernie's goose. If you looked at, look at Mr. Madoff's, what caused him to get caught and caused his, his sons to turn him in, it's, what, it's because he had some clients that needed money. And when they called in and needed the money, I I think the number I heard was in the billions. He had some investors that were were calling in that they needed a few billion dollars because they were going to buy municipal bonds. They would go invest in some other ventures. And guess what? In this bad economy, he couldn't come up with it because it's kind of the trend I've noticed is that I was picking up a good number of clients back in September when things first started getting bad. But things have slowed down to a drip around here on new clients because – I think people aren't firing their advisor to go to another advisor. They're going to cash. So there was not a lot of people that were super excited when Bernie probably was trying to go build up new clients because there were rumors that he had contacted some of the board, people, you know, head of the Home Depot and other, you know, major corporations that he was trying to kind of harvest and bring in more assets so they could pay off these people that needed their money. But he couldn't do it because the market was so bad out there Nobody, would, everybody, would rather sit put than invest in the stock market or any other type of investment scheme that you might have. So Barney, Barney knew that he was that gig was up. He had been caught, and uh, you know, and he called his sons and told them, and they turned him in. So that's what happened. Ponzi schemes always collapse because you're using the money of somebody else. To pay existing people, and eventually somebody gets left holding the bag with that, and that's that's the thing that 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 get, got him caught. It's interesting to me also that Bernie, um, if you look at how much he had listed on his ADV for having under management, he had seventeen billion dollars. So that was that was a pretty interesting thing. I thought item six, nine, number A, it said um, you were actively engaged in what type of business, and he put he only checked one thing, which was one, he's a broker dealer. So, once again, that's FINRA territory. But I, I thought that was very interesting. Like I said, you don't hear a lot of people on the news media talking about going through the ADV and talking about his compensation and how he was paid. You just hear a lot of people talking about how he, how he was an investment advisor, a registered investment advisor with the SEC, and that's that's exactly what my firm is. So you, we all kind of get grouped in there, and I actually had some clients worried, um, you know, what, what's what's to make you different, Brian, than everybody else? And you know, and, and that's concerning because I got to tell you, with money, and, and please listen to me seriously on this, is that I don't think you trust anyone until they prove themselves to you. I, it, you know, it always troubles me when I have a prospect or a brand new client come in, and, and I try to explain something to them, and I say, "Do you understand what I'm talking about?" And they go, "Well." Not really, but I trust you. And I'm like, no, do not trust me until I can prove myself to you. I mean, this is your money. This is your one shot. This is your nest egg. This is the money that's going to make it where you don't have to work with your hands and your back. This is the money that's going to be working for you. This is your whole workforce. You know, when you, just like when you're working, when you're younger, you're working with your back and hands to save that money. As you get older and you build up enough money for financial independence, each dollar bill is a worker in your workforce. And if you're not doing the right things, including making sure that the people you're working with are trustworthy and that they deserve to be trusted by doing your own due diligence to make sure they're good, then you have to be very careful. Let me give you a few t- quick tips, three tips on what you can do to make sure that, that, that you're protected. Um, Number one is you've got to know exactly what you own and and what I talked about on here you know when i was, this is what I wrote to my clients, I said, if you stick to stocks, bonds, exchange traded funds, um, also known as e t f s mutual funds, you know you can go see what you own very easily. sometimes simple is good, I know it's gotten to be in vogue. To do all these private deals and you know and, and act like you're a rich person. I mean, believe me, I've even got some hedge funds and private placement deals that I've done for some of my larger clients. But you know, sometimes there is something nice about being simple because when you're simple, it's very easy to figure out what you have, and that's exactly what's going on with, you know, when you deal with stocks, bonds, ETFs, and mutual funds, is you can go look in the newspaper, you can go on Yahoo Finance, Morningstar, any number of websites out there, type in the ticker symbol, and get an independent valuation of what your your securities are worth. With Bernie stuff, you think anybody with Madoff was able to determine what they had on a day-to-day basis? You couldn't go look up his investment, you know, schemes on a day-to-day basis. It's just one of those things. You've got to know exactly what you own. If it's complicated and you don't understand it, be very careful. Number two, use an independent custodian. And this is um this is something I saw from from Mr. Madoff's ADV under item nine, custody. It says. Do you have custody of any advisory clients? And Bernie had checked off that, number one, yes, cash and bank accounts. He did have complete custody. Number two, securities. Now, what do I mean when I say custody? What I mean when I say who has custody of your assets and um, and, and use an independent custodian. What I mean by that is if if you were hiring... Bernard Madoff to manage your money, and you showed up that day to write the check to to deposit your, your big thing, or, you, you know, you're rolling over an IRA, and it says, who do you make the check payable to? When I have clients, um, they don't make the check payable to Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management. Oh, I couldn't take that check. I'd have to tear it up and send it right back to them. They have to make the check payable to Fidelity Investments. There's plenty of other advisors out there that use Charles Schwab Institutional you know, or or TD Ameritrade. And I mean, those are independent custodians. But when when Bernard Madoff clients showed up, and, and you know, and they go, "Hey, I'm um, Bernie. Who do I make the check out to?" He probably said, "Hey, no problem. It's the Bernard L. Madoff Investment Securities LLC." He had to make it out to him because he checked off in his ADV. He had custody. So you're putting. Because let's talk about this. If if an investment advisor has your assets, he manages your assets. And he prices them, too. Do you see how there's some conflicts of interest there? There's a lot of room in there for some hanky-panky. These are the things you have to be very careful of because you didn't have any third-party person that was kind of a check and balance. If you use an independent custodian, you you, you have a check and balance there on how much it's worth. Now, what kind of muddies the water here with Bernie Madoff in, in his setup is that he went so deep. This was such a big scheme that he had even institutions involved. So there, there, I don't know how far the fallout is going to go on this because there were some legitimate investments that were buying into this investment scam that that Bernie was doing. And I think that that is going to cause some ripple effects for many years to come is because there were some funds of funds and other things that were done by some of the big investment banks and other investment companies out there that were buying into Bernie's Um, Investment scam and then repackaging it as something else and calling it something completely different. Because so there's a lot of people out there that might have been burned by this Ponzi scheme without even knowing it, and still might not even know it. I mean, we're only a month out from when this story first broke. The next thing is if you are using an independent custodian, you can you know most independent custodians. If you're using like Fidelity Institutional or Fidelity Investments, Charles Schwab or TD Ameritrade is they are, they are protected. They have fraud insurance. They have some type of insurance. Um, a lot of them have the, the government insurance, which is the SIPC, which is Security Investor Protection Corporation, that, that provides $500,000 per account of coverage. And then a lot of um, like I know Fidelity Investments, has what's called excess SIPC coverage, which they go out and buy a separate insurance policy to protect you the individual investor. So you've got to know exactly what you have and then make sure that there's some checks and balances so that you don't get caught holding the bag like Bernie had done for his clients. Mr. Madoff has to be a psycho psychopath to do what he did to the charities and everything else that's out there. It's really just a disturbing, disturbing case. Now I wanted to read you like I said, I, I get I get these um NAPFA um, blast emails, and I've talked to the to the author of this. He asked me not to le- release his name, but he is out there in the in the west side of the country, and, and he wrote this. He says, "As I went to our NAPFA site to renew my membership yesterday, and I read through our code of ethics." An affirmation statement, I realized that NAPFA, like I said, that's the National Association of Personal Financial Advisors. We're we're the organization of fee-only financial planners. It said, I realized that NAPFA principles saved me from the Bernard Madoff fraud scheme. When I became a fee-only planner in 1990 by starting my own business, I vowed if I couldn't make it as a fee-only and I had to sell product, I would return to the corporate finance world where I had had so much success for 17 years. This would require eating a lot of crow, as many thought I was crazy for leaving a high-paying, solid job. I was also convinced that I could sell myself and my abilities to make good investment decisions and manage portfolios. I also want to make the individual investment decisions rather than pass it off to some fund of funds or packaged portfolio. I felt that this was the clients this is why the clients were paying me a management fee. This required a lot of work in developing a new skill and didn't pay very well. It was a major struggle to get clients do the work and as well as pay the bills. Fortunately, in search for the clients, I had served for many years on the board of directors, and its, it's a pretty prominent zoo out there on the west coast. But he had served on the board of directors for a zoo, and he said, I continued my community service to the zoo after I started my business, and I met and became good friends with a Jewish CPA. Leach served as treasurer on the board and discussed going into the financial planning business together several times. He started referring asset management clients to me in the mid-1990s, and my business grew leaps and bounds. I referred tax clients to him, and we attended his wedding and took care of his home while he was on his honeymoon. About 1998 or 99, I realized he was no longer referring clients to me asked him about it, and he told me he didn't have anybody at the current time. Later, I found out that his firm had regist- registered as an investment advisor. After I discussed this with him, he told me that he was only, change- he'd only changed his mind. Oh, wait a minute. He was, let me, I lost my place. Later, I found out that his firm had registered as an investment advisor. After I discussed this with him, he told me that he was only after referrals of new business, and it would not reflect the clients he sent to me previously. In mid-2002, he changed his mind and went after my clients, armed with a track record of 8 to 10% gains per year over the last three years. Now, this is the key part. This is when I thought, if you've hung in there this far, this is when I thought it got very interesting. Because remember, this is the truth of how real investment advisors felt back in the last bear market. So let me continue on. I had major losses instead of gains over the same period, and it was really no contest. He stripped every possible client from me, so that he could make a 1% or 2% referral fee. This cost me millions and millions of assets under management. One particular company where I managed a corporate account and several of the key executive personnel accounts, I went to see the president and vice president in late 2002 to try to save the business. I showed him charts that said from 1231 of 1999 to September 30th of 2002 that Europe was down 51%. Asia was down 50%. Emerging markets were down 46%, and the S&P 500 was down 42.5%. I did the math and even said with 10% in high-risk alternatives and 50% return and 30% in long U.S. treasuries, up 31.5%, there was no way they could have a diversified portfolio and be up 30% for the same time frame. Do you catch that? From 2000, 2001, 2002, this, this investment company that this other fee only financial planner was, was was he was showing that he had losses and this other investment company came in and said they made 30% for their clients over the exact same period of time that that's crazy it, it defies common sense but let's get back to what he wrote i told them, i told them that i was actually managing the investments waiving fees and commissions and they were paying 1 to 2% just for a recommendation and what he means by that, let me explain that is that he's saying that this 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 Jewish CPA firm was um, basically not doing any investment management. What they were doing was is that they were setting their clients up with another investment company out there like Bernard Madoff, and then taking a one to two percent annual fee per year for doing, you know, really not doing much, not doing any managing of the assets. They were just passing the money over to a completely different asset management. There was no weighting of, you know, how much should go to, to to long short funds, how much needs to go into large cap stocks versus small cap or international, because that's management. But just taking a 1% to 2% haircut off of the funds without having any management decisions whatsoever is, is exactly what he's talking about. So, this had no impact as they trusted my CPA friend and they dropped me and went with his investment proposal, uh, investment proposal. He said the client quoted and said, "Look at the track record." is what they said to me, and they showed me the performance. I was devastated at the time and blamed myself for not being that good and and and, and this is what I think hurt my feelings, you know, when I know I was going through 2000, 2001, 2002 I, everybody had a loss. It's just like this past year. The market was down 38.5% if you were looking at the S&P 500, and even good diversified portfolios are losing between 15 and 25%. It's just everything but treasuries got hammered last year, so I can completely understand what he's talking about with the devastation he felt from feeling like he wasn't making the best decisions. It appears now that I was going up against the Bernard Madoff Ponzi scheme. I haven't confirmed that, but I remember something about century funds, or long short against the the S&P 500 from the quick look in that executive's office from six years ago. So I lost that business. But I had diversified by that point to continue serving my other clients. Moral of this story is that the NAPFA principles had me holding my clients' best interest first and saved me from going after referral fees. For that and 15 great years as a member, I say thank you, nafa, And amen to that. That's that's about the truth. And you know, and one of the things I wrote to my clients a few weeks ago, right after the scandal first broke, is I did a blast email and I said, one final thought. And if investment sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Reportedly, Madoff claimed consistent annual returns of ten to twelve percent with little volatility. And no annual losses. I repeat that. No annual losses. Can you name any legitimate investor, investor, including you know Warren Buffett or anybody else out, out there that you hold in high esteem as being a great investor? Nobody can claim that they have no annual losses. And I, I just I think you have to be very very weary of somebody who who holds himself out to have such high. High rates of returns, that defies all laws of gravity and everything else that's going on out there in the stock market. One other thing, this show, since I, it has been a few weeks since I talked to you, this show's go, obviously go a little longer than the, the typical 30 minutes that I try to keep these shows, but I think it's worth sharing. Um, let's talk about something that I think is somewhat humorous, is that it is the end of the year, Well, we're through 2008. Now we're at the beginning of 2009. And it is time to start writing quarterly reports to all of our clients. And with that, we write investment commentary. And I I found an article in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution from November 7th of 2008. So this is back right before the 2008 closed down. But I thought it was very interesting. It was titled, Dear Investor, Your Fund is in um, a Storm. And it was written by Stephen Muffson from the Washington Post. And it said this. Because, I believe me, I recognize and can completely understand what this author was talking about because I'm writing, and I've even used some of these cliches um, in some of the stuff I've written. It says, Being a stock market fund manager or strategist these days all, me, means always having to say you're sorry. Unlike other apologies, this is a special art form. When stock managers or strategists say they are sorry, their apologies are usually cloaked in a language all its own. They blame irrational market sentiment. Hail the patient investor, invoke folk, the folk wisdom of Warren Buffett and try to stop badly burned customers from heading to the exits by recalling how suddenly and unpredictably markets have historically recovered. Been there, and I've said that, and you've heard it if you listen to the podcast. Some fund managers deep in the hole resort to borrowing metaphors. And I've used this quote too, so let me go ahead and read this to you. It says, quote, To sell across the ocean, you must balance making progress in fair weather with the ability to withstand the inevitable storms, Clippers Funds, Christopher Davis wrote, quoting his father, also a fund manager. Those who think that that only of the storms will never leave the shore. Those who think only of fair weather will never reach the other side. I've used that quote because it is a good quote. You think about sailing across the ocean? Sure, there's going to be some choppy waters, some tough times, and, and sometimes easier to use that to keep people in the right perspective. But I thought it was interesting that, that this article focused on this. It goes on to say, In an unusually frank October 6 report titled Eating Humble Pie, Citigroup equity strategist Tobias um, Lefowicz said, admitting to being wrong is often one of the more difficult tasks for people, as human nature involves some level of stubbornness, especially since the prior analytical work seemed logical and thorough. Yet he added, with hindsight and experience, we have to concede that some of the assumptions we made late last year, have proven to be deeply flawed. There is plenty of humble pie to go around. Of the actively managed funds that list the standard and poor S&P 500-500 index as their primary prospectus benchmark, 52% were trailing the S&P 500 year-to-date return of negative 33.86% through October 27, according to Morningstar. So it was a rough year last year. But I truly do believe, and and I know it sounds now kind of cliche-ish, to say it after just reading that piece, the patient investor is going to be paid for. You know, you're going to get rewarded. You're going to get your just reward for hanging in there. As you see, I mean, we, the market went down between 74 to 7500 on the Dow Jones, and now yesterday we closed above 9000. Doesn't mean it's not going to turn right back around, but it just shows you how the market can have an easy 15% swing in a matter of weeks. And and I just I'm not the type of person that can figure out when is the best and worst time to get out. So I think the better approach is is diversification. Now, it doesn't mean you have everything out there in the stock market. By all means, if you need money over the next three years, whatever that amount of money is, get it out of stocks and bonds and have it in something pretty daggum liquid, because this thing might take a little while. Now, I'm hopeful that second quarter of 2009 – we're all going to be here talking about much better times. Don't know. Don't have a crystal ball. But that's kind of what I'm trying to to get my clients positioned to, to anticipate when this thing does turn. I think we've got a few more months um, to get things straightened out. Because if you think about typical recession is about 18 months um, and the the government came out. You know, back in, I think it was November or December, it was since I did the last podcast, and said that we've been in a recession all of 2008. So if you take their logic, then we should be coming out of this recession by the middle of 2009, sometime in that period. Well, if you go and look at historical numbers, typically the stock market will recover about six months before the economy does. If you wait for economic indicators to start turning on you, it's already going to be too late because the, the stock market prices bad news into it early and then you get to a bottom where all the sellers are out and all of a sudden you find a foundation and things start going up. So if you wait for economic indicators to come, it's too late. Usually markets recover six months before the economy does. So if you go by the government's logic, if we've been in this recession all of 2008, then we should be getting ready for a recovery right about now. Now, I I don't completely agree with that. I think if you actually look at the textbook definition of of what a recession is, a recession is when GDP goes negative. The growth rate goes negative for two quarters in a row. Now, third quarter went negative, third quarter of 2008. I think fourth quarter is going to show us it's going to go negative as well. So if you go textbook definition of recession – we are just now six months into this recession so that's why when i tell you i think second quarter you know second half of 2009 is going to be the time to look at because it ties in nicely to that 18-month period and the six-month recovery Um, so if you look at that we started the recession third quarter 2008 you know carry that for 12 months so that's uh, that's that's another six months ahead of us i'm hoping i'm wrong i hope the government's right and we start coming out of this thing even quicker but um, if I was a cautious investor, I would think we have a few more months of uncertainty and things bouncing around. Now, I do want to go over um, a few, and I'm going to wrap this up really quickly, but I want to talk about the website. If you go to money-guy.com, we still have the same old website we've had. But I've got to tell you some pretty exciting things that are about to happen in the next month and a half. A lot of you guys have written me and said, Brian, um, I don't qualify for your investment minimums. And I'd love to know a little bit more about asset allocation. And, and do you have model portfolios or something you can show us on how to manage money? And, you know, and, and until... Recently, I, you know, I, I didn't have an answer for you, but I think I've got an answer for you. We do 401k's my firm does. And all the time when we go into these these rooms to talk to the participants of these 401k's, we give out risk profiles and these questionnaires for for these participants to to kind of go through and figure out what type of investor based upon their age, their risk level, how much time they have left before they need the money. And based upon all these questions, we give them, it comes out with an answer of of a model portfolio out of five models that we use for 401Ks. So my thought is, is that we are adding a member section. Now, a lot of you have already signed up for the free member section. We just haven't activated or used it. We're going to be changing that in the coming months. We're actually going to start a member section where once you sign up, I am going to put those model portfolios that we use for the 401ks. Now they won't have the actual mutual funds, but what they will show you is how much you need to put in small cap investments, large cap, international. Long short funds, you know, commodities, oil and gas, real estate, and and things like that. We're going to try to help you out, and we're also going to give you those risk questionnaires so you can figure out what type of investor you are. And that way, if you can't afford my services, maybe the next best thing we can give you is a model portfolio of, and and we'll update that throughout the year as we make changes for our own 401k and client accounts as well. So I think that's that would be a great value added service for you guys. We're also I get a a lot of the same email questions over and over. So on the, the member section, we're going to add a frequently asked question section where I actually provide the answers to a lot of the questions you guys asking me in the email. We're also going to the wealth report that I've been, you know, selling subscriptions for for the last two years. I haven't been pleased with the way that whole thing has gone because we really just didn't have an efficient delivery method for you guys you know of tracking when you signed up when you left so we've dropped the ball on that to a degree to be honest with you and for that i apologize so to make it up we are going to put under the member section we're going to put a pdf version of the wealth report we're also going to start publishing our quarterly commentary that we send out to my wealth management clients we're going to make that available to you guys Um, we'll even add some fun stuff like you know behind the scene photos so you can see the recording area We'll do some special podcasts where we actually go over, um, you know, deeper financial issues with even some um, worksheets to let you have, and and I think you're going to enjoy it. And what I'm going to do is we haven't figured out, of course, you know, and this is probably the part where you go, ugh, is that um, we are going to have a, a, a subscription fee. But this is what I can promise you for the, on the membership section is I'm trying to work it out where I can give it to you free for like a month. I want you to try this thing out. I felt like we dropped the ball enough on the wealth report that I want to make it up to you by giving you access to all this free stuff, well, all this good stuff for free for a month. So you can say, hey, can I live with this? Can I live without it? Is it good enough for me to do it? And then if I'm, and my thought is I'm going to make it so good that you can't help but do it after you get that free month subscription. And then from there we're going to move on is this first year, I think I'm going to discount it in half. Like We're coming up with a target price that we're going to make this membership to the Money Guy website. Now remember we're going to always have the free. we am still going my show notes are going to be free. Everything like that's going to be the same. I'm not I'm not selling out here. Um but I I do want to just take it to a next level. So everything you see now is going to be available to you. It's just we're going to take it to another level and add even more services. And and to pay for those services, we're going to you know have this membership fee. And what I want to do to make it up for you while we're going through our you know figuring it out stage is I'm going to offer it, we're going to figure out a target price for this uh, subscription and we're going to cut it in half for the first year and then probably even keep it cut in half for existing subscribers for you know who renew in the second year. That way you have an incentive to sign up, be a front line adopter and and then hang in there with me because I think it's going to be worthwhile. I think it's exciting. A lot of you have also asked for archives of past shows and I'm going to see if we can work on giving you access where you can go download all of our shows. I mean, the audio quality stinks from when I first started doing this, but I've been covering a lot of topics over the last three and a half to four years that you guys probably s- still be very interested in downloading those past um, you know episodes of, of the Money Guy show. So I'm excited about it. I'm not trying to hype it up too much because I don't want to disappoint you guys. I don't want you to think I've sold out. It's just I've actually realized with this economy and this market the way it's been, it's scary. I mean, this. there is no doubt this is a scary, scary, uncertain time we're in right now, and, and Lord knows we all could have somebody to talk to. Thank God I have associates I can talk with. I have partners. I have other financial advisors that I can share my thoughts with to kind of get a good direction on where to go. I think you deserve the exact same thing. You know, if you've got a 401K and you're scared, you've got an IRA and you're scared, or you've got an investment advisor and you're worried that you're not making the right decisions or you're doing it yourself, it sure would be nice to have somebody that you could go read some commentary, go check off on some model portfolios, and see if your thought, your gut feeling, ties into what I'm thinking. Because um, I, I think that's the best thing that I can offer right now in this uncertain time. I want this to kind of be the financial uncertain market crisis website for you to go to and use as a resource. Because these are crazy times, and you know a lot of things are riding on how good of decisions you make. So I just want to kind of be value-added and add even more dimensions and, and, and be a resource for you. That's that's really my ultimate goal um, with how this hobby has turned out. I'm so just blessed and thankful that you guys have listened, tuned in, and made us as successful as we have. And i got to tell you, 2009, now that I've added new, some new employees, um, I'm one of the few people out there, crazy enough, even though the market's getting beaten up, I'm adding employees, so I don't know how insane you think that is, but that's my commitment to you is that I think that we can do this. I'm willing to take that leap of faith because I think that we can really grow this thing together, and I owe a big thank you for you. Thank you for the feedback. Thank you for the patience, and I'm going to continue to do a good job for you in 2009. I'm your host, Brian Preston, for The Money Guy Show. I'll talk to you next week. The Money Guy Podcast is hosted by Brian Preston, and Brian Preston is a partner with Preston & Cleveland Wealth Management.